It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we are joined by Mike Dunleavy. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by Roan. Roan makes stylish active wear from innovative and custom fabrics built specifically for men. Classically, men have had two choices when it comes to athletic clothing. Settle for substandard big box brand or opt in to wear women's yoga gear. Roan felt that men needed another choice. Roan pays attention to what men need most. They released a running short called the Swift Short that has an anti-stink liner and laser perforations that keep those certain vital areas cool while you run. Hold on to this code JJ and avoid the stink. Roan uses innovative fabrics such as SilverTech, which involves melting down pure silver and weaving it into a yarn. Silver is both antimicrobial and anti-stink, so your gym clothes will no longer smell. And hues tend to smell. Just ask their significant others. To check out their brand new summer collection, visit roan.com slash JJ. That's R-H-O-N-E dot com slash JJ. And right now, they are offering the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick listeners an inside deal of 15% off your first order when you enter code JJ on roan.com slash JJ. Once again, that's R-H-O-N-E dot com slash JJ and code JJ for 15% off your first order. Roan, made for men, fit for kinks. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. I'm going to get to this week's guest in just one second. One of the things we're going to talk about is the idea of parody and competitive balance in the NBA. Uh, there's been a little bit of a discussion and, and narrative, not only on, on sort of social media, but uh, on ESPN and, and other news websites, Yahoo, etc., about this idea of competitive balance. And, and, and it all is spurred by sort of star players sort of bunching up together. And I, I think every situation is sort of different. Um, when you look at Golden State right now, the reason they were able to sign Kevin Durant is because Stephen Curry signed an extension after being hurt and his extension is below market value. So in that case, it's it's sort of an anomaly. I don't know that we need to change the whole system because Steph signed for less money than his, his actual value because of an injury. You know, it, it seems like I think fans, uh, maybe members of the media, maybe even other teams sort of want to dictate how a guy wins. In the case of Kevin Durant, you know, if he wants to go to Golden State and win with those guys in that group, it doesn't, in my mind, diminish any accomplishment that they may have as a team. Second part of that is just as a competitor, man, like there's no one in the NBA, I don't think any player that's scared of any team, um, of any player. Uh, you know, you want to go out and compete against the best and on paper, certainly Golden State, just as they were this past year and the year before, they'll be the best, if not one of the best teams. Uh, and, and you got to go play the games and you got to obviously play the series in the playoffs. And winning is never easy. 
It's never easy. It's always going to be hard. The last point I want to make is just this idea about competitive balance. Competitive balance to me is by definition an, an oxymoron. You know, balance means something is equal. Competition means someone wins and someone loses. That's unequal. So I don't, I, I just don't agree with the notion that there needs to be parity. I think if we watched the NBA and the, and the season played out and every team was 41 and 41, I don't think the league would be in a good place. I don't. Now, if you're listening to this, you're probably saying, well, we don't want to see the same two teams in the, you know, in the conference finals every year. So I tweeted something out recently about the past champions over the past six years. There's been a lot of uh, disparity. And then historically, if you look at the NBA in sort of their previous golden ages of the 1990s and 1980s, there was probably even more severe lack of, of, of parity than there is today. So this is something that is, has gone on all the time, and Mike and I are going to touch on why that is later in the podcast. But for now, let's get to this week's guest, Mike Dunleavy. Thanks for having me. It's about time, man. I feel good that I'm you know, in your top 50 uh, buddies in the league and I make the cut. I had five people cancel on me this week. That's why I chose. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we both actually had busy weekends, so we're a day or so late on this podcast, but I know you were having family time and... I was down in San Diego with a buddy having a, a guy's weekend. So no, I was I, I was parenting is what we call it. I was parenting. <laughs> is there such thing as vacation? I saw on the Today Show this morning. Is there such thing as a vacation when you take your kids? No, it's it's getting away, but it's not a vacation by any by any stretch of the imagination. It's pretty bad. I was just in Orange County like two weeks ago for a weekend, and it just you you come back from what's supposed to be vacation, and you're exhausted. Anyways, uh, I'm really happy to have you on the show, though. We've had a bunch of Duke guys, and I think if you look probably at the total by now, it's like 25% of our total guests have been in some way affiliated with Duke. I had Coach on last week. Uh, He was a pretty awesome guest. What's your relationship like with him? Um, It's pretty good. You know, uh, we keep up through text and phone calls here and there and uh, he texted me you know with the trade recently and it was funny he texted me he goes how do you feel about the trade and you know he's a big Chicago guy so I didn't know if I you know if I was going to say oh I'm really excited I can't wait to go to Cleveland he's going to be offended so I I texted him back and just said I'm excited I you know I think I think it'll be a really good situation and you know but I was like but I'm going to miss Chicago and then he texts me back. He goes, you know, he, he, oh, he was beyond three. I think it's going to be great, this, that, the other, you know. But I was like, it was kind of a bizarre text to lead it off with. Instead of being like, congratulations, I'm looking forward, you know, to seeing you play with them. It was like, how do you feel about it? So I, it was only a trick question. <laughs> it, was, it was a leading question. I'm not, Coach yeah. does that a lot. Yeah. Coach does that a lot. You never know what to do. I, I want to start sort of this podcast with my time at Duke. And I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, but I think I've mentioned it to you uh, a couple times. I just want to blame my first two years of debauchery at Duke on you leaving school early. That's a statement of fact. On or off the court? (laughs) (laughs) Off the court. I just, you know, I got to Duke. You were supposed to be my senior you know, I was going to be I was going to be the freshman. You were going to take me under your wing that we were going to have that like Duke family sort of, you know, upperclassmen take care of the underclassmen. And I got there and it was like all freshmen and sophomores. And I just and you got I, you got led astray. huh? 
I was severely led astray. I was severely <laughs> led astray. Well, I wish I could have been there. You know, obviously circumstances presented themselves that were, were too good to turn down and had to make the jump. But, uh, and uh, we had a good time. I was looking forward to playing with you. And, you know, you guys had such a good class coming in. Uh, I think we would have had a, a really good team and it would have been enjoyable. And, you know, always say I would have loved to have played, you know, with you. And then we end up being teammates for uh, a couple of weeks in Milwaukee, which was great. It was great. It was great. I, I always tell people this, but I'd never really been around just a pro, like a true pro. I had a couple in Orlando, but when I got to Milwaukee, I was I was really just shocked at how much of a pro you were. And there's probably not a secret that that's the reason you've you've been able to have such a long and 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 great career. I want to talk about this trade to Cleveland. You kind of shared your initial reaction with Coach, but what, what was your initial reaction to the trade? There obviously are a lot of factors involved here uh, besides just changing teams. You know, you're you're towards the end of the career, your career. I know you've you value winning and winning a championship, but you also have a family and you guys have sort of set up roots in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of bittersweet uh, for me, you know, personally, but professionally, I was pretty excited when I got the news. I was a little worried at first, you know, with all the stuff going on and D-Wade talking about going to Chicago. I knew that I'd probably have to get moved and could end up going anywhere and you know, they get the call and here I'm going to Cleveland. I mean, frankly, it's probably the best, you know, that's probably the best outcome I could have had. So I mean, obviously professionally excited about the opportunity. On a personal level, I love being in Chicago. Uh, I love the people there, the city, you know, the organization, uh, the fans. And our family really, really enjoyed being there. So that side of it tough. Uh, you know, we got a house to sell and, schools to find in Cleveland and new place to live and all that. So it's a lot of logistical stuff. It's a crazy time right now, but you know, overall it's a great opportunity and uh, looking forward to it. A lot of times when uh, sort of an older player goes to a championship level team, it's in hopes of being the missing piece and in sort of, I don't want to use the word ring chasing, but a lot of guys go to a team hoping to, to win. You're going to a team that just won and you shared a couple sort of uh, thoughts with me on that uh, about your visit to the airport and, and, and at the start of the season, kind of the awkwardness that, that goes into that. Just elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I just imagine it being a little strange uh, opening night when these guys get the rings and celebrate the, you know, the championship and different experiences along the way that we'll, we'll go through during the season where you know these guys accomplish something amazing and you know me and maybe another guy or two didn't go through it so i'm imagining some you know i guess some envious moments on my end uh throughout next year but you know gotta gotta stay focused gotta stay the course and uh hopefully help these guys get another one but uh you know it's believe me i'm, I'm really happy to be in this situation and happy to play with the Cavs. but um i have i have given some thoughts to that like man you know just talk about timing just just missed out on uh, something unbelievable for, for the Cavs and the city of Cleveland. I know when you were deciding, I think uh, maybe two or three years ago, when you first went to Chicago, um, there was, uh, I believe, some offers on the table from other teams. I think Cleveland was one of those teams, was it not? Well, last year there was discussion with Cleveland. A couple of years ago, the first time I signed with Chicago, Cleveland, you know, LeBron was still in Miami. Cleveland was, you know, at the bottom of the East, but – yeah, I mean, I actually 
I still talk. We had some conversations nonetheless, but I wouldn't say I considered going there until last summer. It's amazing that you can sort of, you know, play your whole career, be free agents a couple different times, and you have, at least in my conversations with you, always put a premium sort of on on being on a winning team when you've made free agency decisions, and and now you get traded to the champion uh, and have just a, a fantastic opportunity to hopefully win a championship. I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of, of parity and competitive balance. I think Adam Silver used the word competitive balance the other day, but do you think it's good for the NBA that a guy like Kevin Durant goes to Golden State? I don't really think it's good or bad. I think it's going to turn out. I mean, look, I think the NBA is in great shape. It's going to do well regardless. Uh, I look at it a lot like when LeBron and those guys went to Miami. And everybody was saying the same stuff. These guys are, you know, teaming up, making super teams. And then the next couple of years, it was sort of the narrative of the league was who can take these guys down. And I think that's kind of what you'll get in the next few years with Golden State. And that'll be the draw. And that'll watch, that's why people will be watching. And, um, you know, there's something always exciting to watch with our league. So it's it's just different. I don't think it's good or bad or anything like that. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I don't think it messes up the competitive balance. I think you're going to find some, some teams that figure out a way to compete with, um, with that juggernaut, and, uh, you know, it'll be worth watching. Yeah, I, I don't think it's bad for the league. I think it's actually good for the league, and I think it, it draws attention to the league. And, and certainly Golden State, every night they play, it's going to be a, a TV event. It's going to be a live event in the stadium wherever they're playing. It's going to bring out great road crowds. You know, I'm a little bit of a historian, so you know, I, I went back and I looked sort of at the history of the league over the last 30 years and, and in just certain time frames. So since LeBron formed his super team in 2010, there's been five different champions in six seasons. Uh, during the 90s, there were four champions in the entire 10-year period. From 91 to 98, during an eight-year period, there were only two different champions. And then the golden age of the NBA – the 1980s, in the entire 10 years in the 80s, there were only two different Western Conference teams to make the finals, only three different Eastern Conference teams to make the finals, and in those 10 years, only three different NBA champion. Will the league ever have competitive balance? I think it's a farce. Well, I think that's, I think with all the movement going on right now, you know, it's a little bit like the NFL where, you know, you're never too far out of it. You're like two or three years away from being at the bottom of the lottery to going all the way to the top. When you look at Cleveland, you know, they got a number one pick, they got LeBron, they got some free agents and made some smart trades and they turned this thing around quickly. I think that's the excitement for every franchise to have that opportunity to know that, you know, Golden State the same way. I mean, they were, you know, Monte Ellis was playing for them a few years ago. And, you know, they weren't very good. Those guys were, you know, injured and struggling. They made the Boga trade. They made some other good moves. And then they're on top of the world. So I think it's I think it's great for franchises. The thing I worry about a little bit is with small markets, you know, with what, what happened with OKC, you got a guy leaving. to go to a bigger market? I would like to see in the next collective bargaining agreement an opportunity for teams like the Thunder right now. Like last summer, they could have offered Durant what he's getting, you know, just a contract that, you know, is through the roof. So they know right then and there, you know, the guy's going to take it and he's going to be there for four or five years. Or if he decides, if he turns that down, then you get, then you really know, well, geez, he's, he, he's probably going to leave. 
Whereas now you offer the extension, they can just say, no, we're not going to take it because if we wait another year, we can get a lot more. We should make that a lot more available the year before the contract expires. I think that's a great point. I totally agree with you. You know, for for the people listening, what Mike's referring to is Durant, I, I believe last summer could have signed a maximum of a three-year extension. Now, he would have got the max, whatever that number was. But he, you know, and similar to, let's say, LaMarcus Aldridge in Portland, they could offer have offered him a three-year extension. Uh, but he was obviously incentivized to then go to free agency and get a four- or five-year deal. And same thing with Kevin Durant, who ultimately opted into a, a one-and-one, two-year deal. Another example would be Steph Curry, who's on a very short contract. You know, if if a guy sort of outplays his contract, having the flexibility to keep your own guys and have them sort of get their payday from you, I think would be a great option. Yeah, and like like right now, you look at Westbrook and, and OKC. Like if the Thunder could right now offer him a five-year, you know, what Mike Conley got. If they could offer that to him right now, they would. And he says yes, and you got him. If he says no, then you're thinking, well, you know, we're taking a risk here by not trading him. You know, we probably got to move him. But right now, he can say, well, I'm just going to wait till next year, where I'm going to be able to make more money. And so then he leaves everybody in limbo. I, I just think it makes more sense in these situations. So we'll see if they take a look at something like that and collect a bargaining agreement next year. I think it makes sense to do it. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, as sort of an extreme, there isn't a call for a hard cap. And, you know, in the people that I've talked to around the league, there isn't a sense that there will be a work stoppage or a lockout. But, you know, there is a sense that there are a few issues out there for both sides that could be negotiated. So in in regards to, to parity and competitive balance, one of the things that, you know, I, I think people always compare the NBA to like, we want it to be like the NFL. We want parity like the NFL uh, or even baseball. But going back to, I don't think there ever will be parity in the NBA. The dominant players, the best two or three players when they're in their prime, a la Magic and Larry in the eighties, Hakeem and Michael in the nineties, LeBron now, it just seems like those guys are going to be in the finals every year. Yeah, that's, Regar- regardless I'm, of what team they're on. Well, hey, look, I'm pretty excited about that right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that, I think that just speaks to you know how good. I mean, specifically LeBron is. You know, I think that's the one great thing about the NBA is you know superstars. You know, make that big of a difference. And, you know, quarterbacks are big in the NFL, but you know, and pitchers are big in baseball, but there's nothing like a superstar in the NBA because you got to play both ends. Exactly. You do so much. So that's why it's, uh, it's such a unique game. And, um, you know, David Stern made a point from the 80s on to market, you know, our stars. And it's turned out to be, um, you know, the best thing going. So uh, I'm rolling with what they're doing. Yeah, and so you're you're looking for these stars, and, and there's probably – I don't want to put a number on it, but let's just say there's like five or six guys, maybe less, maybe more, but give or take five or six guys in the league right now that are sort of transformational stars. And really, you want to have those guys when they're on their rookie contracts. So you're, if you're in the middle of the road, you're incentivized to tank and try to get a, a high draft pick and hopefully draft one of those transformational stars. So between the current sort of top two or three players being on whatever team 
and then let's say 10 or 12 teams tanking, it just seems like there's always going to be a big disparity between bad teams and good teams. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. I would say two things about that. One, I'd like to see a lottery system changed where the worst three teams in the league cannot get the top three picks. So if you have the worst three records, you're slotted in at four, five, six, and then the top three picks are lotteried off to the rest of the teams that don't make the playoffs. That way, I think you're going to have unbelievable competitiveness going down the stretch in March and April of bad teams. So like this year, Philly, the Lakers, teams like that, they're going to be playing hard. They're going to be playing for wins because they don't want to get stuck in the the three worst teams because they won't be able to get the number one pick. So from that standpoint, I would suggest that to improve the competitive balance. You know, but there's one thing that's, that's always tough is like towards the end of the season when you're on these bad teams, there's an incentive to play young players. You know, because you want to grow and develop these young guys. So what's the point of playing veterans and things like that? But, again, that's why I would say take out the ability to get a top three pick if if you have one of the worst three records. And let's let's see how the competitiveness is then. Right. There's There's a lot of times vets will get a very slight hamstring strain at the beginning of yeah. March. And the next day the team will say he's done for the season. <laughs> yeah. They just – yeah. It's just a common just thing to shut, shut them down. down. But <laughs> – you know, to, to get to get a higher pick, but you know, uh, hopefully they can they can find a, re- a way to kind of cut that out. Okay, so there's this argument then, uh, you know, for or against competitive balance. You know, we've kind of talked about this a little bit. Some people, I think, though, are fired up about this Kevin Durant Golden State thing because I guess it shows a lack of I don't know what a competitiveness or that he you know his team just lost in Game Seven. He should have stayed. Michael and Larry. And Magic never would have done this and all those arguments. I personally don't buy, and I'll tell you why in a second, but do you buy any of that? Well, I just think things have changed so much in terms of the media coverage and the way guys are judged and viewed. and It's just so much on these superstars that is dependent on having a championship, winning a ring. That's just what their whole careers are based on. So it's almost like, you know, in KD's, you know, you know from his stance, he's almost put in a position where he's got to go somewhere to give him the best chance to win it because that's what he's going to be judged on. So I think it's almost like the world we live in has created this situation where guys are kind of pushed to, you know, have to have to make these decisions. Yeah, it's like it's ironic. I mean, we, we essentially bash great players if they haven't won a championship but then if they choose to go to a place where they'll have a chance to win, then we bash them as well. Uh, it's almost like you know, winning has to be on the fans' terms or other teams' terms. It can't be on the players' terms. I just Yeah, but you know what? At the end of the day, you know, if he goes there and they win a championship or two, or however many, whatever they win, people are going to look back and they're going to say, Kevin Durant, he's part of this many championship teams. The same way with LeBron in Miami. Like, they don't. I I agree. You know, when it's all said and done, people don't say, yeah, but he jumped, you know, he jumped ship and did this. Like people, that's that's short-term memory. People are going to, people are going to kind of forget that and look at how many rings you want. The other thing I would add to that is, and you know this from, from being on good teams, you haven't won one, but you did win a, a national championship at Duke. It doesn't really matter how much you sort of stack the deck. Winning a championship is incredibly hard. Like, it's never going to be easy. It wasn't easy at any point in time for the Miami Heat to win. 
It wasn't yeah. easy at any point in time for Golden State to win two years ago, and it certainly they were the greatest team in the world this year, and they didn't win. Winning is not easy. No, no, there's the old saying: you can't buy a championship. So, in the same regard, with you know these teams that you know spend way through the luxury tax and have wealthy owners that you know spend, spend, spend like the Knicks have done recently in, in the past ten years, it, it hasn't equated to wins. So, no matter how much you spend or how much you team up. There's, there's no guarantees, man. These things are, these things are tough to win. If you were, I, I think I know where you stand on this, but let's say you had been a free agent this summer and, and Golden State had offered you the minimum or Cleveland had offered you the minimum. You're, you're in the position of guys like David West or Zaza Pachulia. You've made enough money in your career where you're comfortable. Do you think there's anything wrong with a guy doing the proverbial ring chasing? No, I don't. I don't. I respect it. I think when you being in my shoes at 35, when you get to this stage of your career, you know, going to work every day and putting the time in and doing what you do and going to the arena and competing in games, no matter what happens, all you care about is winning. So no matter how big of a contract I could, could have got going through a team that, you know, maybe borderline playoffs or whatever it would be, it doesn't bring me any, more happiness than being able to win and being able to compete on a championship team. So it's sort of like what makes you happy every day. And there's, you know, a handful of guys that recognize that. And, you know, some call it, you know, ring chasing. Other people call it just, you know, you know, going, you know, being a winner. So, you know, I get it. I'm in, I'm in that situation and, you know, that's what makes me happy. And, you know, I don't, I don't care what, you know, people think about that. I think that's, that's pretty important winning. Well, winning is obviously important. The other thing that I think a lot of these teams have in common that are that are winning and winning at a high level is just the atmosphere in the locker room, the camaraderie. You know, from a distance it just seems like, you know, whatever Golden State is selling or whatever the Spurs are selling year to year to to free agents to take less money, guys are buying it and they're enjoying their time there. And you know, it it's hard to say this when you're in a competitive sport, but there is something to be said about not just winning, but like going to work every day and enjoying the people you work with. Oh yeah, it's huge. I mean, because the NBA season is long; it's a grind. You're in the winter months. You're going through cold cities. The whole thing. Um, yeah, you want to wake up every day and leave the house and look forward to what you're going to. Um, as I think anybody who you know has a job and works for a living, you know, you want to be excited about going to work. So if you're going to be making a you know, a little bit less money or a lot less money in some people's scenario, but but you're happy, you know, that's what it's all about. Hey, Mike, you remember when we were playing ball in high school how important recruiters were to us? Good recruiters find the right talent to make great teams. My listeners want to have the best recruits for their teams at work, and I'm not talking about the work basketball team. I'm talking about star employees. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to over 100 job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 800,000 businesses. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com sportsfan. 
That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SportsFan. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash SportsFan. And now let's get back to Mike. I want to go back to the start of your career with Golden State. And this is your 14th year you're going into? Is that right? I think 15. But Fuck, dude, you know, 15. You All right. <laughs> I'll go on your Wikipedia page. I feel like normally I go on Wiki guys' Wikipedia pages, but I was like, I know enough about Mike. I don't need to go on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> but, but I guess I do. All right, so you're 15. You've seen a pretty transformative time uh, in the NBA. Can you just describe some of the some of the major changes you've seen in your time, some of the things that maybe were emphasized back in 2003 that that just have no place in the game now? Yeah, it's pretty. It really has changed a lot. Uh, I look at the game as far as the physicality. As a small forward, when I got in the league, you know, I was I was thinner as I am now. But you know, every night I had to go down the low post and guard a, a three that would post up. You know, the Jamal Mashburns, um, guys like Lee Nalon and Eric Williams. All the threes in the league weren't necessarily very good shooters. And all these guys posted up an offensive rebound. So the the physicality of the game, you know, was unbelievable. You know, every I mean, I was, I concentrated my first few years just putting on weight. You know, hitting the weight room, building muscle because you know guys in my position were like two thirty, two forty, two fifty. So that in that regard, the league has changed a lot. I think also the character um, of guys has dramatically changed. When I first came in the league. Um, you know, there's a lot of questionable characters, and they've really cleaned it up and put a premium on, you know, the way guys act, how they carry themselves. And, you know, obviously the, the league has gotten younger too, so they brought in, you know, some younger players. And, you know, back then there would be veterans on the end of the bench. Now, you know, they really just have some young guys that they can maybe turn into a rotation player, starter, all-star, as opposed to letting some older guy hang around unless he brings something to the table. So a lot has changed in 15 years. Um, I think the game is, is far better. There's far more flow, freedom of movement. Um, it's more entertaining to watch. You know, obviously the style of play has changed to the point where, you know, with what the Suns and Mike D'Antonio and Nash did, where, you know, it's the, the floor has really opened up and a lot of teams are trying to do it that way. And it just makes for a, a better game, in my opinion. I agree. It, it is a more beautiful game. I even watching some games. There's like there's like could be two or three minute stretches where I watch games on League Pass and and it seems like teams are going back to that old ISO heavy basketball and it's just it's to me it's not pleasing to the eye nor is it efficient by any analytical measure. So I'm glad we've moved away from that. I know for me too. When I first got to the league, it was like all right, we're just going to take them down to the block and we're going to post them up. I'm glad that the league is, has kind of gotten away from that for sure. And then the big thing, I think, too, is just the emphasis on shooting. I remember you mentioning to me in Milwaukee that you know you, would, you could see yourself playing a, a year or two at the end of your career as like a stretch four because, because of your ability to shoot the basketball. But it just seems like most teams now play four guys that can shoot. Yeah, I mean, you look at like what Jared Dudley did this year in Washington. You know, I mean, the guy's a... The guy's a wing player, you know, and, and he slid in there at the four and was a stretch four, you know, smart guy, he knows how to play, you know, just find some open looks from, from, from John Wall and, you know, knock down threes at a good clip and, you know, you get paid big time and you, 
you, you know, you have a role, you have a place. And, uh, you know, but back 15 years ago, I mean, there's no way a guy like that could, could play for, you know? So the game's changed. Perhaps I'll, perhaps I'll have a year or two in me of, of being a stretch for at some point. But, you know, like you said, there's a premium on shooting. So if you can shoot, you kind of know how to play. And luckily for me, I've got good size at 6'9". So I hope I can hang around a little bit longer. At this point, is it year to year, or do you have a, a number in mind? Like I, you know, whether it's three years, five years, whatever it is. Well, I don't think it's year to year in the sense that if I play this year, I don't think I'm gonna. Re- I don't see myself retiring next year after next season unless I, you know, got hurt or something bad happened. But I also don't have a number in mind. Um, I'm just gonna keep playing until I feel good. I enjoy it. Uh, obviously I want to win a championship, so that's going to play a big factor into how long I hang around. But, um, you know, I love my job. I love my craft. I love what I do. So I don't see any reason in, in giving up on it. I got plenty of years to hit the golf course and do all that stuff. So, uh, well, you don't even, play you don't golf. even play golf. <laughs> well, I'm waiting, man. I'm waiting. I, I put everything on hold. So um, I'm, I'm getting itchy. I'm getting, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to pick up a set of clubs. But, oh man! Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, you know, I'm just trying to squeeze every uh, last ounce out of this body here. Yeah, I, I hear you on that, man. It's crazy to me. Like I was thinking about this today. You've essentially been around the NBA your entire life. Your dad was a player, a coach, a GM. You've played now 15, going into your 15th year. Do you foresee ever a time in your life where the NBA is not involved in your life or where you're not involved with the NBA in some capacity? I would hope not. Um, I, I love it. You know, I love basketball, but, but I really love NBA basketball. You know, my dad just took a college job at Tulane. My brother works at Villanova, you know, and, and they love that. They're into it. My dad's getting into it. But I just love NBA basketball. I love watching games. I love kind of knowing what's going on. Uh, it's an amazing game. It's kind of all I've known my entire life. And, uh, I hope that, you know, I get done playing. There's some, something waiting for me after, after my playing career and, and beyond that in in the NBA. Yeah. We've talked about that before and I I know how much you love the game. It really is. It's a cool thing to me, uh, just to have that perspective that you have about, about NBA basketball. Mike, give me one second to tell our listeners about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to. And none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the app on my phone. I used it recently to purchase tickets to a Padres game. I was in San Diego this past weekend. The tickets were exactly as described. I put my drink on the dugout. That's how close I was. Great seats. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work, and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter promo code JJ, 
and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. All right, so the last two weeks we had Woj on, we had Coach K on. We did not do a four-on-four. I generally don't do the four-on-fours with the more mature audience or the more mature guests. <laughs> I, Coach K would be like, what the fuck is a four-on-four? So I didn't even try to explain it to him. But I'm going to do one with you. We're going to do – I know you're a foodie. We, You and I, we give each other restaurant recommendations all the time. Um, I think you went to Spain earlier this summer and, and, and did a little food tour. So the, the four-on-four this week are your favorite – food cities on the NBA road and your favorite restaurant in that food city. The rule is though, that it can't be New York, San Francisco, or your home city. That's the rule. Okay. We're looking for off the beat choices. So, so you, yeah, I'm going to go with some, um, like smaller cities. I mean, you know, I wouldn't do LA or Miami for that matter either. I would say, um, (laughs) I'm going to start things off and this is going to, throw you for a loop but i'm going to say sacramento wow and i'm going to say sacramento because they have the best restaurant in the nba whether it's 1985 or 2015 uh there's a chinese place in sacramento downtown called frank fats and it's a sacramento institution and nba institution all the all the old school nba people that you know that i know of go there it is the best Chinese food I've ever had. Unbelievable Chinese food. Uh, this side of the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> it is. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. I've never, is. I've never been there. I, I rarely leave the hotel in Sacramento. I've got. Yeah, be we know you. there's cities like that. Like Salt Lake is a place for me like that. But yeah. I'm telling you, this right. Chinese restaurant in Sacramento. What's it called like, again? What's it, what's the name? I'm writing Frank, this down. Frank Fat. Okay. All right. It's a short walk from you know the hotel there where we stay. All right. Uh, that big time recommendation. I'm going uh, into the eleventh year and I've never heard of this place, so yeah, I've got to check yeah, it out. Then you really don't know your stuff. You really don't. Know I, your apparently stuff. not. Apparently <laughs> not. All right. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna give you one of mine. A little bit of a homerism here because I lived there for seven years. But there's certain – mine Mine are more the like places or like a meal or like something specific that I look forward to and get excited about going into a city. And so for me, uh, Orlando uh, is one of my favorite food cities, mainly because I know it inside and out. But my favorite place to eat there is a, is a place called the Ravenous Pig. It's a little gastro pub over in Winter Park. And I specifically like to go there for lunch or an early dinner. It's 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 my spot. Have you been there? I haven't. I'm going to have to put it on the list. I know okay. early in my career, you, you and I had a couple dinners or nights out in Orlando. I think I think we did go to the Blue Martini. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Orlando is a uh, – it's kind of a – to me, it's a stay around the hotel city. I can't say I ventured too far outside of downtown other than I think we met up one point to, to get dinner somewhere. But um, I usually stick around the hotel there, and, you know, it's – it's okay, but I'll venture out with this recommendation you made. You gotta, you gotta go to Winter Park. Winter Park is a right. spot, and and yeah. also I just want to also say one thing real quick about Blue Martini. It was at the time like the hottest bar slash club in Orlando, and it was in the mall. I just I, that is like the most Orlando thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Some other ones that I throw out there. 
obviously New Orleans is a great oh, you, know, you get all yes. types of food there. Um, you know, you can forget if you, if you have a good night, a good meal in New Orleans. You, you can forget having a good game the next day, um, <laughs> the, way, the way they serve you there. But I will say my favorite thing to do in New Orleans is go to a place called Drago's. They have these charbroiled oysters. Oh, my gosh. The, I mean, you don't even have to like oysters. They're unbelievable. I probably get a dozen or two of them. And that's all I eat. That's all I eat at this place. You, you, you're not going there for dinner or anything. You're going there just to get the oysters and something to drink and, and leave. Don't, you know, nothing else on the menu is really worthwhile. It's the usual kind of New Orleans Creole fare. But these oysters, man, buy in big time. My, another one of my choices is also New Orleans. It's a fantastic food city. There's a place called Koshan. It's a Donald Link restaurant. And they also, the reason I go there is also for their charbroiled oysters. They put a little chili oil on top. Just fantastic stuff. Fantastic yeah. stuff. I bet it, for the listeners who started listening to this podcast, and if this is your first, <laughs> this is the first episode you've listened to, you're like, "What the fuck? This is a food podcast." Yes, yes, it is. All right, you're, uh, give me your third one. Um, I would say Toronto. Okay, um, I'll put Toronto up there. I, although it's a pretty big city, I said I was going to try and stay away from those. Um, anything you want, in Toronto. I mean, Ital- I've had great Italian there. I've had great Mexican. My favorite place there, TJ Ford took me to, was um, actually a Croatian place, like Mediterranean food. I want to say it's called Yoshi, and it has just outstanding um, calamari, squid, octopus, fresh fish. It's like he just pulled it out of the boat off the Mediterranean. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. My next place is in Miami. Miami's probably a lame pick, but... Uh, Prime, Prime 112. It's not Prime 112. <laughs> After games, I go to Prime 112. It's my favorite restaurant on the road. No, I'm kidding. Um, although Prime 112, you can knock it, Mike. It has good steaks. All right, bud. No, there's. Uh, have you ever? Did Did Shane ever take you to El Gabiano? Oh yeah, the Italian place. Where you, you, yeah, you eat the cheese off the wheel. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's outstanding. Yep. I get, so my financial advisor, uh, his offices are, are right by El Gabiano, and so. I think probably every time I've been to Miami in the last six years, I've eaten dinner at El Gabiano. I look forward to it. It's fantastic. My favorite thing on the menu is the langoustine. My last pick, though, I'm going to give you my last pick, and you give me yours. My last pick is not actually a restaurant, really, per se. Uh, Portland is one of my favorite food cities, period. But the reason I like going to Portland so much, I know I'm always going to get a great meal, but... For me, the room service at the Nines Hotel in Portland is my favorite room service. I get the it's it's the best pregame meal that I get on the road out of all the other twenty nine cities or twenty eight cities. What do you what do you get? I get the roasted chicken dish. They have a like an unbelievable green salad that I get, and and I always get some sort of starch on the side. So I usually go with like a potato and some Brussels sprouts. But but every entree you order comes with this uh, homemade uh, cornbread. And they put a little oh, yeah. whip, they put a little yeah. whip butter on the side. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, wow, that's 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 ballsy of you to eat that before the game. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, although the Sparrow Pizza in Dallas, Texas, is I'm really thinking about that one. I'm going to go with I too. I'm going to go with the Portland. Yes, because Portland, even though I went to high school there, you could call it my hometown, but it has some of the best restaurants in the country. 
Um, I'm actually going to go breakfast in Portland, mm. and I'm going to say the staple Voodoo Donuts. Oof. Um, I'm not a donut eater, but anytime I'm out there, you got to get the Voodoo Donuts. And then um, there's an amazing uh, kind of breakfast brunch place across the river on the east side called the Screen Door. And it's just got, you know, the whole whatever you want, pancakes, French toast, every kind of omelet, huevos rancheros, the whole thing. If you can make it for, if you're around for breakfast and stay over the next night, that's, that's the place to go. I talked about Voodoo Donuts one time on this podcast, and I caught a lot of slack for it. Like, for me, Voodoo is you know what you're going to get. It's a little over the top. But I think there's some, some highbrow people out there that didn't think it was as artisanal as they would like. Uh, I got the, the Blue Star recommendation. Uh, have you ever been there? I, apparently, it's better than Voodoo. I don't know. Yeah. You know what's funny? I didn't go to any – when I was in high school, I didn't go to any of these places. They might not have even been, been open. But I really didn't know about, I didn't know about those places until I was a few years in the league. And all the guys that show up on the bus with a box of donuts. Yeah, the pink box. You know? yep. <laughs> so I was a little late to the party on that one. But look, man, it's whoever, whoever says it's not good is you know, in denial. Actually, there's somebody wrote a, an article on Medium basically in, in uh, sort of in support of Voodoo Donut and what Voodoo Donut stands for. And uh, if I can find the article, I will uh, I'll tweet out the link with it because it's really interesting. Little side bonus, if you do like donuts, uh, Sidecar Donuts in Santa Monica here in L.A. is the best donut I've ever had. Get the butter and salt. Thank me later. Mike, you've been an awesome guest. I appreciate the time, buddy. Good luck in Cleveland. Thanks, man. Enjoy the rest of the summer. All right, you too, bud. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. I'd like to thank today's special guest, Mike Dunleavy. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Roan, ZipRecruiter, and SeatGeek. Be sure to support them the way they support us. I'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.